You are listening to Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. This is uh, series number three, episode number nine. Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. JJ Sefton here along with my colleague and co-blogger CBD. And today we have a truly, a truly special guest, Robert Spencer, who has probably uh, more links per day on the Morning Report than I think any other author. I think he averages about three a day uh, across a broad spectrum of topics, is the director of Jihad Watch and a Shulman Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. He's also the author of 26 books, including many bestsellers, such as The Politically Incorrect Guide to Islam and the Crusades, The Truth About Muhammad, uh, The History of Jihad, The Critical Quran, and his latest book, which uh, just came out very, very recently, which is called The Sumter Gambit. And uh, that book is particularly relevant to the situation that uh, we find ourselves in today, because the parenthetical after the title, The Sumter Gambit, is how the left is trying to foment a civil war. (laughs) And with the impending or at least delayed arrest by the American Gestapo of Donald Trump, that still uh, very much hangs in the balance. And besides that, there are so many things that are driving America towards, if not a civil war, then political retribution of of unprecedented scale here in the country. Anyway, uh, CBD and Robert Spencer, welcome. It's great to have both of you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. So, Robert, the left trying to, to drive us towards towards a civil war, and as I said, maybe it would be, to me, at least a bit one-sided outside of the 200 million you know, people with uh, however many million firearms, if they're willing to use them, God forbid, is more of a, a, polit- or a, a an act of political rep- complete political repression. So, uh, as it says on the back of the book, the purpose of all this is to push non-leftist Americans into an impossible corner where they are forced to choose between giving up their liberty and their most dearly held principles, going to jail or fighting back. When the last becomes the only choice, the left plans to unleash the entire might of the military-industrial complex to defeat and destroy any vestiges of dissent. They'll have to do it, they'll say, to protect us from, quote-unquote, an insurrection. And there's a charged word, if ever there was one. Well, insurrection well, is a dangerous yeah. thing. No, you're absolutely right. And anyway, the idea there is just that they are trying to set up a win-win situation for themselves, that they push us to accept all their madness about men being women and being female admirals and champion female swimmers and all that. And if we go along, then we lose our values, our families are destroyed, allegiance to anything is destroyed, that is, except to the state. And if we fight back, then they say, see, they really are insurrectionists and traitors, and we have to crack down. And they're authoritarians at heart. As David Horowitz said, inside every progressive is a totalitarian screaming to get out. And they're getting out now. Agreed. And they're doing it in plain sight of us. And the fact that we are not reacting appropriately, I think, is damning. And it's an indication of of the hundred-year head start that the left has on the American conservative movement ever since, you know, toward the end of, of World War One, the, the issue, however, is that the traps that the left lays for the American right are, as I said, in plain sight, and yet we fall into them all the time. My original thought about the, quote, insurrection, unquote, on uh, January 6th was that it was simply a, a bit of an organic protest that got out of hand, uh, not even that much out of hand. But the reality, of course, is that it, the American right was driven to it by the progressives in Washington, and it, it was carefully manipulated, and they knew exactly what they were going to get, and they got exactly what they wanted. And this is going to happen again and again and again. And and, and Donald Trump, uh, for all of his bombast, understands that, but he's unwilling to elucidate it. You know, the idea that America is going to rise up if they arrest him today or or tomorrow or next week for these ridiculous trumped up and frankly offensive charges that the Manhattan District Attorney has has conjured out of thin air is a very dangerous thing because it will be January 6th once again, but the gloves completely off. And I I would expect deaths if there are mass protests in response to to, uh, an arrest. Sure. But it will have repercussions far beyond whatever happens at the courthouse on the day Trump does the perp walk. The repercussions will be in the loss of civil liberties and the crushing of dissent in the United States so that only one perspective is allowed. We become effectively a one-party state even more than we are now. And the enunciation of differing points of view 
is stigmatized as treasonous or insurrectionist and consequently silenced. That's the whole idea here. That's why they want riots. They want protests. They're hoping there will be protests so that they can instrumentalize them to implement their agenda. It's like if the Nazis had not been able to get everything they wanted from the Reichstag fire. For those who may not know, the Reichstag burnt down on February 27, 1933. And in early March, Hitler went before the Reichstag, the assembly whose building had burnt down, meeting in the Kroll Opera House and said that the Communist Party had done this. The Communist Party was a danger to the Republic, had to be outlawed and the communists expelled from the Reichstag. So they were. And then he had a majority without the commies there and was able to pass his enabling act, which gave him dictatorial powers. And that was the beginning of National Socialist Germany. So what we see in the United States right now is, has remarkable similarities to that. January 6th is the Reichstag fire for the left. They're trying to use it to follow through on what Joe Biden said on September 1st, 2022, that Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent a threat to the very foundations of our republic. Well, that's very much like what Hitler said about the communists in 1933. And the objective is the same. Ultimately, and this is where people think, oh, now you're just talking crazy. I wish I were. But the objective is to criminalize the Republican Party, criminalize or all of it except for the part that we call rhinos, and criminalize any real dissent. The problem is January 6th now has been exploded. It's no accident that the, this arrest of Trump is coming right after Tucker Carlson blows the whole lid off the January 6th thing. So now they need another Reichstag fire. It's as if Hitler didn't get his enabling act with the first one, so he had to burn down something else. Yeah, it's amazing how that revelation, how they went absolutely incandescent with rage over that, because again, it was like showing the cross to Dracula. This is, here is the proof, even though, of course, people will say it's been manipulated, it's, it's, it's you know, fake news, it's this, it's that, it's, you know, propaganda. But no, it proved, it, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it showed that the, the supposed violent insurrection, I mean, 44,000 hours of videotape from essentially, as CBD pointed out in a previous podcast, had to have maybe been hundreds, if not a thousand or more cameras from one specific location, the Capitol building, which did not show anything near approaching this so-called uh, violent insurrection carried out by MAGA Republicans. If anything, it showed that the violence was carried out probably by the Capitol Police, probably by DOJ plants, people People wearing MAGA hats and so on and so forth. And the real victims of the thing were people like Ashley Babbitt and Roseanne Boyland, who were shot to death and beaten to death by, by the Capitol cops. And so what they were trying to do with, with, with the violence was to get a reaction from somebody else in the crowd, whether it was, uh, you know, Jacob Chansley, the Buffalo headgear guy or somebody to act up and create violence so that they can, as you, as you state, Robert, use this as a pretext to have their enabling act and then outlaw the Republican Party and any voices of dissent. But with the risk of invoking Godwin's Law, there was actually an article today in, in American Thinker by Steve McCann, Eight Startling and Uncomfortable Ways the Democrat Party Emulates the Nazi Party. And he talks about utilizing fake news. He talks about racial and ethnic divisions, uh, using street goons to incite violence, and so on and so forth. And so unless you bury your head in the sand, history, as they say, may not be repeating itself, but it sure is rhyming. And it, it's really, it, 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 we're, we're in a frightening place. So this is the thing, though. If you don't protest, they're going to roll over, roll over us. If we do protest, then they're going to use that as a pretext to, to roll over us. So it's like, what do we do? Well, we well, what do we do, indeed? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I don't really have the answer, unfortunately, but I think that that it has to start with organization, and that organization has to occur at the state level. We see it uh, occurring significant amounts in Florida, 
where the state apparatus is now pushing back against this insane woke culture. It's happening to varying degrees in other states. Uh, Texas is, is obviously the, the biggest one, but it's happening um, across great swaths of the South and even in the, in, you know, the Mountain West. And I see it as a bit of a pushback that can be successful. Whether it is successful in the future, I have no idea. But as, as I've spoken about at length on other podcasts, I've come to the realization that the salvation of America is not in Washington. It is not in change occurring in Washington. It has to be much more organic. It has to come from the bottom up, you know, local school boards and city councils and uh, moving up into the state uh, legislatures. But as I said before, that hundred year head start that the left has on us is going to be a very, very difficult thing to combat. They have thousands of the equivalent of brown shirts or black shirts throughout the blue states and blue cities. And with a snap of the finger, they can burn our cities. And uh, we have we have the, the right, the conservative right, has no rational response to that. And until we have a rational response to that, and I'm not ne- saying necessarily vi- a violent response, but until we have a response to that, we're going to continue to lose. Well, I think one thing we have to do is start talking about what we're talking about here which you never hear from Kevin McCarthy, let alone Mitch McConnell. Uh, You never hear from even Donald Trump, really. And yet that seems to me to be the primary thing that needs to be communicated to the American people right now, that there is an insurrection. There are people who don't believe in a free republic, but they're not the ones that are being accused of this. They're the ones who are accusing and they're practicing the old practice of accuse your enemy of what you're guilty of. And that, that is something that it seems like nobody's talking about and everyone should be. And it, I think it would make a huge difference if, for example, election integrity laws, where the left has a complete jump on us in terms of saying, oh, that's just racist. You're just trying to keep black people from voting. It's ridiculous. But people believe it. It flies. So why aren't we competing on the level of rhetoric and saying you just don't want election integrity laws because you're authoritarians. You don't even believe in this democracy you keep saying you're protecting. You're a bunch of fascists. And explain it to the people that these are the enemies of freedom. Instead, everyone is focused on particular issues, on taxes, on the border, on immigration, whatever, but not on the big picture. And yet the big picture is where the really important things are happening. I I think that's an excellent point. We need to flip that word insurrection on its head and point out that, as you just said, the real insurrectionists are on the the left. You know, it sounds trivially simple, and I'm sort of embarrassed that 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 isn't more of a point throughout the conservative blogosphere. We need to call Antifa insurrectionists. We need to call Black Lives Matter insurrectionists. And then, as Robert just pointed out, explain why. Why are they insurrectionists? The Biden administration, which is a phrase we should never use. It's the Biden regime. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I saw somebody call it the Biden regime. And then there was a flurry of articles in the mainstream why it's not the Biden regime, why it's so terrible that the right is saying that. Well, that was just a call for us to say it all the more and to emphasize that this is an illegitimate regime. This is on the par of Kim Jong-un. It's not a legitimate American administration. And so we don't need to pretend. You know, the worst thing we do on our side is we let them set the agenda and set the language, and we always play along. And you have even people like, well, McConnell's a lost cause, but even people like Ted Cruz, who have a lot of sense and do a lot of good things. And then he turns around and says, yeah, it was so terrible. There was an insurrection on January 6th. There was no insurrection on January 6th. An insurrection is not a guy with Viking horns being led around the Capitol by a guy who let open the door and let him in. It's not a bunch of unarmed people taking selfies. It's, it's a ridiculous leftist talking point designed to stigmatize and demonize the opposition. And we should, any politician who plays along with this should be immediately repudiated on our side and made to to retract and apologize 
or be completely rejected. Absolutely. I mean, I've been, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I've been calling it the Biden junta since day one. And I mean, it might might sound or it might look at first glance and people question it. Why is it, JJ, that every time, you know, you see the word President Biden or Vice President Harris, you eliminate that and you put in parenthetical so-called, as I I write, so-called quote-unquote president? Because people need to be reminded that all of this is, is illegitimate. Everything he's doing, and he has, and I'll say it till my my dying day. That at the very, very, very least, the the 2020 election was severely compromised, and I think it was stolen. And then there's no there's no doubt in my mind that the shenanigans put him over the top. So I regard him as illegitimate, and everything that's being done to us is is completely against the law. But of course, no one is willing to even broach that subject. And we have people, it's the, the, the worst enemies we have are the people supposedly on our side, as you say, Robert, like Ted Cruz and even Rand Paul, who were, you know, sort of bemoaning and memorializing the, the late officer, Brian Sicknick, the, the lie that he was hit in the head by a, you know, by, by a MAGA thug with a fire extinguisher, when in fact, two days later, he had died of a stroke, which had nothing to do with, with what was going on on that day. And it just, again, I mean, these are self, you know, own goals, which are disastrous in their, in their consequences. And, and to that point, I mean, with Donald Trump, at least, and I know Michael Walsh on the previous podcast was sort of uh, railing against him for his tweet where he was, you know, with a cap lock and going on and on about things. But what he was saying was, was what needed to be said, that, it, that these people are thugs and it is a junta and it is, uh, he's being persecuted for his political beliefs. So at, at least he, he got that right. But again, there's the other issue of, of going after Ron DeSantis and DeSantis going after Trump. And meanwhile, everyone are laughing at both of them as, uh, you know, as, as we go down the tubes toward, towards a, a totalitarian dictatorship. Yep. Uh, DeSantis is, it's a, it's a strange situation where Trump is taking all these pot shots at DeSantis, and DeSantis is the most effective guy on our side over the last couple of years. And so it's understandable that he feels threatened, and like what's rightfully is, is, is in doubt now. I understand all that, but he should have more sense and be focusing on the real enemy who is not Trump or DeSantis. It's disappointing to see Trump doing that. You know, all the time he was president and he was so effective, I thought that he had these idiosyncrasies. He was a bit uh, self-aggrandizing and narcissistic. Well, you know, nobody's perfect, but this is getting way out of hand now and it's gonna hurt our chances. The best outcome actually would have both of them running, and uh, I don't think that's obviously going to happen at this point. I think the issue is that Donald Trump is still looking to the past, and until he stops looking at the at the past, we are going to continue having having these ridiculous outbursts from him. As Sefton said, the 2020 election was most probably uh, stolen, um, mm-hmm. but it is, but it is. There is nothing in American law that can be done about that. Joe Biden, unless he dies or is is further crippled by his dementia, will be president at least until January 20th of 2025. There's nothing in the law that can be done about that. And Donald Trump needs to realize that and move on. And if he does yeah. move on and, and presents a, a coherent plan to the American people on how to fix the irregularities in our election systems, people would take him seriously. But right now, you know, he's an old man yelling at the sky. Oh, it wasn't mm-hmm. fair. It wasn't fair. What are we going to do about this? It wasn't fair. And, you know, for, quite frankly, I'm tired of it. And then, the, the, you know, the prickly, ego-driven crap that he's flinging at DeSantis is just childish. And yeah. and then the expectation, as, as Ace of Spades has pointed out on many occasions, the expectation that Donald Trump can do that kind of stuff, but nobody can do it to Donald Trump. Well, you know something? It, this isn't tiddlywinks. We're not playing patty cake and, um, you know, with cupcakes around and juice boxes and having having fun with with the kids. This is rough and tumble politics. And the guy who can handle it the best should be the president. And at, at this point, uh, I see Ron DeSantis as as that man. Uh, he's simply more intelligent than Donald Trump. I think he has a much, much better grasp of the realities of politics in America. And he's doing a hell of a job in Florida, as, as Robert just pointed out. We could do a lot worse than Ron DeSantis. Well, there's another problem, too, and that is Trump is saying all these great things. He's going to do this and do that. 
And yet there are troubling signs that what one of the things that hamstrung his first administration has not been corrected. And I mean specifically his tendency to uh, favor people who clearly don't have his values and are not going to implement his agenda. And so he's backing Ronna McDaniel for the RNC chair when she's clearly on the other side of the divide in the party and has nothing but a record of failure and defeat. What on earth is he thinking when he's got Harmeet Dillon, who was there, who would have implemented exactly the kind of America first principles that he stands for? Why does he keep doing that? And you see this long record, I see this long record anyway, of him saying that, uh, who now, let's see, McMaster and Tillotson and Bolton and um, there are a host of others, people who worked for him, people who had high-level jobs in his administration, and he's heaping abuse on them and saying that they're stupid or self-serving or uh, uh, wrong-headed in various ways. And the obvious question is, well, then why did you appoint them first? Why did you, why, how was it that you were taken in by all these sharpies? And what's to prevent you from being taken in again? And so I'm, I'm less inclined, in other words, to cut him slack than I was in, 20, in 2016. He was saying all these great things, and I thought, well, maybe he can do them. And he did do a lot of them. But now, when he's saying he's going to do all these great things, I remember all the ones he didn't do. So... You're absolutely right, and uh, CBD. Here is my the, here's the the devil's advocate alert for you. So I'm going to about to play devil's advocate. I know it drives you crazy, but I, I will say this. You know, maybe I won't play devil's advocate. I think I think Robert has kind of convinced me that yeah. I mean, the most important thing for both DeSantis and I think for Trump at this point is really. And again, how can you do this? It's supposedly it's the middle of a, you know, you're about to start a, a political battle for the, for the nomination of the party. They have to bury the hatchet because I think this goes beyond, and this is my wish list, my wish uh, for this, is it goes beyond electoral politics because I think electoral politics is severely, severely compromised, certainly in 2020, likely in 2022 again, and, you know, other things being equal with uh, whether it was Trump or whether it was uh, poor candidates or whatever you want to call it, or just the shenanigans that we know happened that, that elected John Fetterman as a United States senator. But the two of them have to bury the hatchet and we have to kind of move in a way beyond electoral politics to recognize the danger of this impending, if not civil war, then absolute subsumation of our freedom by a totalitarian regime. How we do that is is really the question. But we can't, you know, going on as if uh, sort of things are the way they've always been, even in the face of the madness that's going on, we can't. I mean, but we but we sort of, we're, we're forced to, and we have to sort of play by this script of, okay, it's 2023 going into 2024, and the primary season is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and that is going to happen. And at the same time, the economy is going down the tubes. The southern border is erased. There are people on both sides that are itching to have a nuclear war with Russia over the Ukraine, and so on and so forth. So... It's frustrating and it's maddening. I mean, to what is it's like? Okay, we have these challenges, but what is the battle? What is the battle that we're fighting? Is it merely elections, or is it something beyond that? And be, and recognizing that it's something beyond that, how do we fight that battle? And you know, because we are we are just we are really up against it. You want a recipe for electoral success in twenty twenty four? I'll give it to you. Donald Trump bows out of the twenty twenty four presidential race. He becomes the philosophical and emotional leader of a re-energized American conservative, American uh, populist movement. He embraces one of two or three excellent candidates. I think DeSantis is a front runner. I think Youngkin could probably be uh, at, at least an adequate, if not good, president. And he guides the re-energized political movement for the next 10 or 15 years until he dies. And in one fell swoop, we could destroy whatever claim Biden has on the presidency, because one of the reasons why Donald Trump would bow out is he would he would say, I think that I can do this. But in the you know, in, in the in the cold light of day, 
I am 78 years old, and I think that it is time for a younger man to take the United States into the 21st century, a, a post-liberal 21st century for this country. Uh, that won't happen, obviously, but that is the recipe for success in 2024. And by the way, what Robert Spencer just said about Trump's support for uh, Rona McDaniels Romney is spot on. Had Dylan been able to, to capture the chairmanship of the Republican Party, we would have gone a long, long way to fixing what ails our electoral systems. She's a lawyer. She's a smart lawyer. She understands how the cheat happened, and she's got the recipe to fix it. But Donald Trump did not understand what he was supporting. And, and unfortunately, what he supported was something that will probably keep him out of the White House in 2024. What he supported was, uh, it should be noted, is not Ronna McDaniel, but he supported Ronna Romney McDaniel. And to me, uh, doing that is just, I don't care who you, I mean, that to me is, is a deal killer right there. If that's, if, if I was clinging on to perhaps uh, teetering towards maybe reconsidering uh, Trump, then that for sure is kind of the coup de grace. I can't. I mean, how do you how do you even do that? How can you possibly not, as you say, CBD, go with with the Harmeet Dillon and then just go with someone who, as Robert said, it's a complete failure. Not only that, I mean, she she's she's Romney. She's a Romney. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not even going to give her the benefit of the doubt. So that's kind of a deal killer. But one thing I, I do want to ask both of you guys is that. Okay, so we're talking about, theoretically, even if we had a dream team and we could take back and, and win and overcome the cheat and, and sort of beat back the, the elements that, are, that, that allow the Democrats to, to, to rig these elections in the swing districts and states, are we not so utterly divided now due to all of the, the fomenting of, uh, of the long march through the institutions uh, over the last 60, 100 years? Are we so divided that can we really ever come together as a society? I mean, how do we... To put, to put not too fine a point on it, how do we denazify America after 75, 80 years, 100 years of, of communist uh, indoctrination? If it can be done at all, it has to be done head on. It has to be done by a comprehensive educational effort that alerts people to what's been happening and it makes them aware in the first place of the fact that a great deal of what they've been taught and a great deal of what they've learned to take for granted was actually manipulative propaganda that was designed to get them to support various political groups and positions, and that reality is different. Now, that is something that a lot of the people who have been indoctrinated are not going to sit still for. And so the answer to your question, the immediate answer is no, it's not possible. And yet it is with a great many, actually, because Social contagions do come and go. And right now we have this madness sweeping over the country of all these people thinking they're the opposite sex and all this other nonsense. And in a few years, it's going to look nuts. And a lot of people will have discarded it and come back to sanity if they haven't mutilated themselves. And if we are there to say this was part of a movement that needs to be understood and rejected, then we'll make a lot of headway. Unfortunately, like we've been discussing before, we're not, nobody on our side is really operating on that level or willing to take on these social movements. You blew us away. <laughs> oh, he's he's well, correct. I, I don't, you know, uh, I, I don't know what to say. Um, it, 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 it does, it does start and end with education, and 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 once again, they have a hundred-year head start on us, and uh, it's going to be yeah. a long slog to to fix what ails us. Take, for example, the term progressive. I'm talking about a thoroughgoing reprogramming, uh, deprogramming. That's what they call it, right? When you get out of a cult, that's what we need to do. And so we have people on our side who say they oppose the progressives. Nobody should ever say that. What does that mean? You're, you're a regressive then? You, you're a Neanderthal? You want to go back to some unattainable past? A progressive, the whole idea of them calling themselves progressives is based on the Marxist idea that history is moving in, inexorably in, an, in a particular identifiable direction, and that if you are 
with them, you're on the right side of it, the right side of history. And if you're on with us, you're on, on the wrong side of history and going to end up in the dustbin of history. Now, all of that is bunk. All of that is Marxist analysis. History is not tending toward communism. And there is no inexorable progression toward socialism. It is not happening. And it's not going to happen. So we should not call allow them to have that term because they are not progressives. They're not nothing's progressing. And they're not the vanguard of the progress. <clears throat> they are statists and socialists. They are communists. That's what we should be calling them and never adopting their terminology. But people just take it for granted. And Nobody would, most people would not even think. They'd say, Spencer, you're nuts. Nobody cares. Just call them what they want. We have to understand that there's a lot of power in these, in this kind of terminology. And a lot of people think, you know, especially young people who are naive, oh, progressive. Yeah, I want to be that because I want to be uh, one of the modern people who are moving to the, to the, to the fore, the front lines of the future and being out there on the cutting edge and it's it's kind of romantic and exciting but it's 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 bogus and we shouldn't ever play along with them not in the smallest detail well this is this is the, exactly what orwell wrote about the power of language uh, and and how the manipulation of language can have tremendously powerful effects on on society and a piece i wrote for ace of spades on sunday i grabbed a short quotation from uh, one of lenin's works in one of the uh pet newspapers from the early 20th century. And he was using terms, he was calling himself a social democrat and referring to the socialists and the communists. This is Lenin. He's a communist. He's a, he's, he's a statist. He's a, he's, he was an authoritarian, authoritarian. He was a barbarian. He was a butcher. He was, he was a, 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 a horrible, horrible dictator. But he understood 120 years ago how to manipulate language to convince people of the rightness of, of his political goals. And Robert, you're 100% correct. We should not call them progressives because it is such a lovely word, isn't it? I'm a progressive. I love progress. It seems so sweet. Let's teach that to the kids. Well, you know, let's call them what they are, communists. Let's, yeah. let's, let's link progressivism to Pol Pot is we're not having progress uh i i grew up i'm sure you know you maybe you're around the same age but i grew up in the 70s and 80s and the world is not better now there has not, not been progress there's been some progress in terms of the technology of us being able to do this but other than that there are a lot of aspects of the of the world you know sometimes you see for example on twitter somebody's got a video that he's cleaned up and colorized or something of people walking around in Paris in 1896 or London in 1903 and everybody's well-dressed and everybody is thin and everybody is courteous. That, that's not, we don't have progress from that. And we need to say so and be honest about it and alert people to it. To what's been lost. It is amazing how language is the, it was the one thing that they really, you know, that he who controls the language does control the, you control the narrative and you control, uh, you know, th this whole notion of the fact that people tend to think sadly that, you know, that the classic has always been Democrat uh, was uh, blue collar for minorities and for the people and the good guys and Republican was evil corporations, white people and, uh, and the bad guys. And it's completely it, it, it's completely wrong. Yes, there are shades of gray of, or there were maybe shades of gray in certain areas, but that's got, in, in in the main that is certainly how it's never been. And I'm going to almost get very close to touching a third rail by this so-called um, N word, which I will not say, even if I wanted to say the word clinically right now, if I wanted to say the word N is a bad word and should never be used, I would still be called a horrible, evil, malicious, hideous racist. And so now the people that have been able to instill that power to say what that means and who can say it, who cannot say it, will now are now going on to other things. Well, you can't say, you can't even say the word, let's say, 
the clinical word homosexual. Because to say homosexual is to say, oh, well, no, we're gay, you know. But it goes from there. It goes to every word. And once you start censoring words, then you start censoring ideas. And it's really, you know, that is really one of the nubs of, of, of where we are today, that people find themselves, you know, in knots trying to conform to, to what people are saying. And that was one of the things where Donald Trump, I'm not that I'm saying he was, you know, spouting racial epithets, you know, he didn't have a, 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 a limiter or a meter. He just said what he thought. And when you attacked him, he attacked back and he defended himself, not even attacked. He just defended himself. And people said, well, he's mean. It's mean tweets. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's by, by defending yourself, it's being mean. And that was one of the things I kind of admired him for early on. But uh, CBD circling back to the, the whole notion with the schools and how you know even our our own side is caving into this there is a battle now for um charter schools and res you know minorities and people are uh, who want the charter schools are you know they're being there was a woman who said uh, and and she was a, a black woman i forgot what city it was from she was a city or a, a city rep or a state rep she goes oh these pe- these parents don't know what they want and it's like, how demeaning is that? It was horrible. And meanwhile, in, in Idaho, I believe, where they were all set to put forth a bill for charter schools, it was the Republicans that killed that killed the, the law. And I'm saying, you know, if this is how we're going to fight or try to take back, you know, we, we ain't going to win you know, with those kind of people allegedly fighting on our side. But it does begin and end in the schools. If we, we, have, if we can take back the educational system, and Lord knows if we have enough time within 10, 20, 30 years, then... You know, maybe there we do have a shot at redemption. Uh, we're overdue for a break, but be, when we come back from the break, I would like to talk about the latest uh, little article in uh, Robert Spencer's uh, Jihad Watch about the Islamic State will be able to attack the U.S. in less than six months, which is always a cheery, cheery thought. But before that, I would like to direct people to the Southern Poverty Law Center a website which has an absolutely hysterical description of of our guest robert spencer and it's a marvelous uh, glimpse into how the left manipulates language unfortunately the mistake they made was that they quoted mr spencer perhaps a dozen quotations from him and i've read them all and i when i finished reading them i thought okay sounds great sounds like a rational man i'd like to learn more about him uh, anyway, uh, go go to the splccenter.org, read the write-up about uh, Mr. Spencer, and we will be back. <laughs> we'll link to it. And we're back, CBD, J.J. Sefton, and our really extra special guest, the great Robert Spencer, here for the Cut Jib Newsletter podcast. And in, during the break, CBD mentioned uh, we, we want to sort of switch gears a little bit and uh, get, head away from the craziness here in, in the United States and and head towards uh, our wonderful, uh, wonderful sunny spot of the world, Afghanistan in the Middle East, the dangers that may be heading our way thanks to the Biden junta's incredibly inept and irresponsible debacle of a bug out from two years ago. Yeah, well, you know, in Afghanistan, there were a lot of people who were issued special immigrant visas. A special immigrant visa, SIV, was issued to people who helped the U.S. military while we were there. And yet, Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, admitted after the catastrophic withdrawal that most of the people we have brought to the United States from Afghanistan since the collapse of the government we were supporting have not been people who were given special immigrant visas. They don't even know who they are. So they could be ISIS, they could be Taliban, They could be any number of things. And even if they're not, even if they're perfectly innocuous guys who spend all their time doing needlepoint, the problem (laughs) is that in Afghanistan, there's a very different culture. Nobody wants to talk about this because it's racist and bigoted. But really, in Afghanistan for years, our troops were told that you're going to see Afghan commanders and they're going to have little boys with them 
and the little boys are their sex partners, <coughs> and you're not supposed to say anything about it. It's their culture. So now we have these guys over here. <coughs> Excuse me. There have already been arrests for child abuse and molestation of Afghan migrants. And they, one of them quite ingenuously said, not everything I did was completely legal in Afghanistan. And he was completely bewildered that it turned out not to be legal here. But this is going to, this is just a ticking time bomb in the United States now. That we've got all these people. Nobody has dared to instruct them about how our culture is different because that would be Islamophobic. And so they're walking around and they have radically different values. This is going to be the occasion for the victimization of innocent people. I was going to say that uh, things are radically different here in the United States, but uh, we're racing towards legitimizing pedophilia. So, I mean, things may not be that radically different in the United States than it is in Afghanistan, thanks to the, the crazy leftists and, and, and Democrats and the, the transsexual uh, madness. But, but your point is taken, Robert. This is a clash of cultures and a clash of, of ideas. And, of course, it is we who are the ones who are supposed to, you know, to sort of bend over backwards and allow these things to happen, lest we be called Islamophobic, uh, homophobic, racist, and so on and so forth. So what's going on in Europe? Europe is... Uh, we're not far behind of what's going on in, in England and in what's going on in Sweden. I mean, the whole Rotherham nightmare that happened there, which was covered up for years, where there were these grooming gangs. Can I use the word grooming? Because that's also one of these verboten Democrat words that you're not supposed to use because it's right over the target, where, where uh, young young girls and young boys are being gang raped by Muslim men in, I believe it was Birmingham and maybe Manchester and maybe a couple of other cities as well. And so all of that was swept under the rug and anybody who dared bring it up was, uh, well, now it's, you have thought police over in England who will arrest you for, for standing on the corner outside of an abortion cl clinic. If you're, if you're silent and silently praying, uh, that's a thought crime that can land you in jail. So it's heading here. It's here. It's here already. Oh yes, yeah, sure. And just in Britain the other day, Rasmus Paladin, who is a Danish politician was, uh, disallowed permission to come into the country because he was going to burn a Quran in Britain. And people think, oh, yes, that's good because, you know, we're against book burning. The Nazis burned books. So burning books is bad. That's fine. I understand that um, that idea. But we should also understand that Rasmus Paladon wanted to burn the Quran because of what the Quran says, that he doesn't like a book that calls for warfare against people simply because they have a different creed and their subjugation and persecution and harassment and killing under certain circumstances and so on. Now, the thing is, though, that in banning him from entering the country, Britain has essentially said that if you make a lot of trouble, if you threaten violence, we'll give you what you want. And so people were saying they were going to riot, there would be uh, unrest among Muslims in Britain if Rasmus came in, so they don't let him in. But that only invites more intimidation. That only says, yes, you can get what you want by threatening us, so they'll threaten them again. And yeah, we're not far from that in the United States, because there are already uh, pushes for the outlawing of what's called hate speech and so on. And the problem is hate speech is an entirely subjective category, and it has no content at all other than the what the people who are in power invest in it and so really it's just a tool of those who have power to silence their opposition and we're, we're very close to this because this is the kind of rhetoric that we started with about biden saying trump and his supporters are a threat to the very foundations of the republic that kind of language is a pro you to outlawing the move, their movement altogether. Well, this is what happened in, I think it was Stanford University with one of the professors who dared to question wokeism. And, oh my God, it's a, the, the backlash against him was, or her, I forgot if it was a man or a woman, was it was immense. It was incredible. And then recently there was, um, in New York, in New York, I believe there was this, uh, what is it? Um, 
Drag Queen Story Hour. And in response to Drag Queen Story Hour, the actor Kirk Cameron, who is a conservative and a Christian, uh, had had his own uh, story hour. He was going to read uh, excerpts from his book, which is obviously wholesome and whatever. And the intimidation, there were threats against his life by the transsexual mafia. And he, it was it was curtailed. So you tell me, what's the difference between Islam and what's the difference between progressivism? Uh, not much, in my in my estimation. No, they go together hand in hand. That's why. Grandma, lama, lama. There's a strong alliance between the left and Islamic groups because they're both authoritarian. They both don't believe in freedom. Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, said, obey your ruler even if he is an Ethiopian with a head like a raisin. Now, that's quoted a lot because it's racist. And so people like to quote it to say, see, Muhammad wasn't that good a guy. He said this racist thing. But what's actually more important than that is the fact that he's saying obey your ruler no matter what. He's giving an example of the most outlandish ruler he can think of, an Ethiopian, and saying you even got to obey him. Now, if you were a bunch of socialist, internationalist authoritarians who wanted to destroy dissent and establish a one-party state, but you knew you couldn't stamp out religion, then you might decide to favor a particular religion that taught authoritarianism and that said you've got to obey the ruler no matter what and that's why i think they like each other so much one of one of the problems with the united states um vis-a-vis islam is that we are insanely terrified of saying something mean and this this i i i blame on uh george bush who spoke about who spoke glowingly about Islam as the, a religion of peace, which is absolutely contrary to fourteen hundred years of history and their book. It is not a religion of peace if you read the Quran. The, these are these are lies. These are manipulative statements made to obscure the fact that that we are afraid to do anything substantive and, and until we admit that islam well let's let's go back another 150 years let's let, let's look at sati in in uh, india that is the the charming tradition of burning the widow on the funeral pyre of the of a man who has died well i I, oh God! What what was his name? Um, anybody remember who ended it? Um, ben Bentink or something like that. I forgot the, the guy's name. But uh, Britain finally decided that the murder of widows was probably not a good thing in the grand scheme of things, and they ended it. And today, I do not see any Western society being able to end something as brutal as the mur- as the ritual murder of. Oh, of a widow. And no, you know, right. fast forward to you know, 2023, we have the same thing going on. Whoever said that, I can't remember his name either, but <clears throat> they came to him and said, you can't outlaw this. It's our culture. And we have to express, we have to express the, we have to preserve the practices of our culture. And he said, great, you follow your culture. And in my culture, we have a, practice of hanging people who burn widows so you practice your culture and we'll practice ours but nowadays that conversation would never be held because the contemporary left would say yo that's your culture oh carry on then like there were a couple of doctors in uh, detroit who were put on trial a few years ago for female genital mutilation which is justified in islam now what's interesting about it is that Up until they were put on trial, every last discussion of female genital mutilation, whenever it came up in the Western media, every last newspaper article said, this has nothing to do with Islam. It doesn't have anything to do with any religion. It's cultural practice. Every every last one. And then these doctors go on trial for it, and they say, oh, you can't uh, try us for this. It's our religion. It's Islam. Whoops. So then 
a judge actually said, oh, yeah, you're right. This is your freedom of religion to do this and dismissed the case. And so you see the descent from the outlawing of sati to the FGM case that in the one case we were not afraid in the West to hold to our own culture and say we're going to rule against, we're going to work against inhuman practices, even if they are your culture. And now we have lost the will to do that. Yeah, but then, of course, uh, in our culture, when someone says, well, I don't want to take the coronavirus shot because it's against my religion, or I don't want to bake a cake uh, specifically for uh, to, to celebrate a homosexual wedding. Aha, uh-huh, you're going to jail, hater. Uh, you're you're a you're a thug and a terrorist and a and a racist and a whatever. You'll go to jail. But of course, uh, you know, the freedom of religion. No, it's, it's, it, the hypocrisy is just it's sickening. It's maddening. It's if it wouldn't be that, it would be laughable. But it's you know just it, it's again it's this self hatred and and the utilizing of your your own enemies against you to to advance your own political goals. Well, the surprise is going to be on the leftists uh, who when when Islam, God forbid, is ever ascendant uh, on a global scale, uh, you know they're going to be the first to get to to get to their heads chopped off. But until then, it's. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so is Islam, with that, except for that rare exception in Dearborn, where everybody went crazy with the teaching of, of transsexualism in the schools, all of a sudden our, our, our great friends were the Islamic parents in, in Dearbornistan. That, that aside, uh, at a certain point, um, they're gonna, they're gonna, it's going to be a very rude awakening for, for the leftists when, uh, when, when, the, when the whatever hits the fan. Well, we see similar problems in Israel, uh, which is... Um having a, a huge amount of trouble with the idea that uh, certain politicians on the right have quite unvarnished and uh, real, polit- real politic views about the Palestinian question. Um, going as far to say as, far to say as uh, uh, there is no Palestinian people, which, which is a defensible position, by the way. Um, they, were, they were invented. But... But the thing is that, that Israel is trying desperately to adhere to its, its Western philosophical um, roots, uh, and they are in combat, in direct combat, with a non-Western culture that is very, very willing to kill children and kill pregnant ladies sitting on, a, on buses and blow them up and... Uh, you know, fight like hell to get nuclear weapons so that they can, so, you know, the day after they, they build their first nuclear weapon, they'll launch it on Tel Aviv. That's the goal. Because there is no, there is no control over the most base, brutal impulses in certain cultures. We're not allowed to say that. We're not allowed to say that Islam is a brutal culture. We are not allowed to say that, that the book that guides Islam is essentially a violent political movement masquerading as a religion. And they use that religion to control the the masses and to expand. We can't say that, but it's biting us in the ass as we speak. And as, as Jeff said, uh, I'm sorry, as uh, Sefton said, um, if, if it is ascendant, if Islam takes control, uh, these their fellow travelers in the West will have a very very rude awakening followed by uh, the loss of their heads. Yeah, you know, in Iran it happened that way. The uh, Communist Party, the Tudor Party, allied with Khomeini. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh because that, that, I mean, it's just, that's just such a perfect example. Please go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> well, that's it. Were played out exactly as you'd expect. As soon as he got in power, they thought he was going to put them in the cabinet, and instead he put them in prison. And that was the end of the Tuda party in Iran. I mean, it still exists, but nothing like what it was. He devastated it. Oh, it's like, jo- it's like Joseph Stalin, the, the, the most strident... Bolsheviks who helped to, to overthrow the, you know, the, the Kerensky government and finally seize power. And then after the Civil War, uh, the majority of them were the first to go. 
They were absolutely the first to go. They were, got wiped out. So, you know, if only Comrade Stalin knew. <laughs> Lordy. Hey, let's take a little bit of a break, and uh, we'll have some final thoughts with Robert Spencer and CBD. It's J.J. Sefton on the Cut News Radio Network. Hang on a second. And we're back for our final segment, uh, J.J. Septon, CBD on the Cut Chip News Radio Network with the uh, estimable and uh, invaluable uh, Robert Spencer. It's been a f- fantastic hour discussing uh, the uh, dissolution of America and uh, the, the, the insanity going on in the Middle East and potential for uh, um, Islamic takeover and whatever else is going on in, in between Saudi Arabia and Iran and so on and so forth. What do you think of this um, rapprochement supposedly between uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia between with Xi? I mean, you know, it's like the Sunni Shiite thing is even is even more, you know, crazy than than Islam versus Jews. So it's kind of a strange. Well, Saudi wants to modernize because they see the end of the oil economy coming. And so they don't want to go back to being poor and without any income and living in the most wretched place on earth. So they are used to, you know, having five jets and living in sumptuous mansions and they see their income ending. So they have to diversify from the oil economy. To diversify from the oil economy, they have to attract investment for other things. To attract investment for other things, they have to have a stable environment. And so they have this chief rival and enemy in Iran, which is quite close by, right across the, the Gulf. And there's a restive Shiite minority on the eastern shore in Saudi Arabia. So they were looking to the United States to be their protection against Iran. Now, Joe Biden comes in and says, we're going to treat Saudi Arabia like a pariah because of Khashoggi. So MBS sees the writing on the wall, and he's not going to sit back and watch as the Biden administration betrays us, betrays them and leaves them in the lurch. So the Chinese come along and say, we'll take care of your problem with your enemy so you can secure that flank and pursue your economic aspirations with no hindrance, such a deal. There's no downside. Do you think that Iran is, is still going to pursue the, their, obvious, their stated goal of the destruction of, of the West and, well, first Israel, then, then America, and then move on to Saudi Arabia? Is this, is this the, simply an Arab, Arab uh, a Muslim game that they they're so good at playing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Thank you, folks. Turn your sets off. <laughs> I'm kidding. They understand that the 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 U.S. is over. The American moment is over. They'll deal with the Chinese as long as the Chinese can give them what they want. When the Chinese can't give them what they want, they'll move on to whatever else is the situation then. They're going to do what they have to do to survive. If it means making an accord with Iran, then that's great. If it means being antagonistic toward Iran, then that's fine too. The Iranians have more of a of a of a an aggressive impulse. The Saudis could be as aggressive as they wanted to, but MBS is not really doesn't seem to be a true believer. He's I mean I'm sure he would hotly deny that. He's he's a believer in every official way. But what he's pursuing are not Islamic goals, whereas what the mullahs are pursuing, those are Islamic. Fascinating. But uh, we have some some parting thoughts. Robert, I think you have yet uh, another book coming out. Uh, Is that that what you you mentioned just in the break here? Yeah, actually, uh, it won't be out till November, but I just got the copy edits moments ago, 
It's in progress. It's called How the Byzantines Saved Civilization, the History and Legacy of the Roman Empire in Constantinople. It is not just a history of the Byzantine Empire, although that it is, but also uh, a, a, a discussion of what lessons we can learn in, the, in this latter period of the United States from the Byzantines, how uh, we can try to manage things in a more positive way than perhaps we've been doing so far. So it's more than just an ordinary history book. But I think most people are not aware of the pivotal role that the Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, Byzantine Empire, as it's called, um, how uh, what a tremendous influence it had on Western civilization and the United States. And so that this book is an attempt to re to alert people to that and draw some lessons for our own age out of it. You know, truth be told, I have to uh, confess my, my, my real sort of ignorance of uh, classical history. I was sort of steeped in, you know, something that unfortunately I was really never, never taught or I never really paid much attention to and really concentrated mostly on the 19th and 20th centuries. But it is amazing how so many parallels that I'm seeing and, and starting to learn uh, through, through, authors such as yourself about uh, how the past really does resonate with, with what's going on. And I really, really do uh, look forward to that book. And now I'm more intrigued about it to see perhaps there are clues to our own uh, salvation in it. I, I certainly hope so. So I, we look forward to that book and CBD. It, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, the Byzantine empire, you know, people, most people don't even know what it, what it is, but if you look at, uh, yeah. if you look at the extent of, of their, well, conquest, or I'm not even sure how to describe it. Um, and what it is essentially is you draw a circle around the Mediterranean with a gap at Spain and and maybe not, yeah, and maybe part of France. And I think there's part of Spain too. I'm not, I don't remember. Um, it was a huge, huge uh, area. Um, and it was the, it, it had, incredibly incredibly profound effects on on a, a large swath of the of the uh of the the known world really for about a thousand years so uh i'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to this one sounds like fun if yeah I if we can last as long as the byzantine empire i think we've done well yeah that would take us almost to the year 3000 yeah so that I'll would be a good uh <laughs> we can now cue the uh, Zager and Evans uh, in the year uh, 2525, but uh, so far it's the year 2023, and uh, America seems to be going down the tubes. But I will say this, Robert, you and CBD and you know Michael Walsh and, and, and our co-bloggers, despite all the depressing and really horrifying things that we're witnessing, I think there is hope. I think there is a spirit there that people are waking up and recognizing as we call them the low information crowd, even they are recognizing that this is wrong. What's going on today, putting, putting the, the, the battle Trump or personal personalities aside, just the, the direction we are in is completely wrong. And I think uh, more and more people are seeing that uh, regardless of the political party, and it is really mostly the, the, the American left that's driving it, uh, is the source for all this misery. And hopefully the big battle, of course, is in the schools. And, and more and more people are seeing that the education of their children and, and, and preventing the, the, their brainwashing and their, their destruction and giving them a future is going to be the key to actually us having a future. Whether that is America as founded or America reborn or some other entity that at least uh, gives us the opportunity for freedom, you know, here's hoping. And so, so that's, that's the positive note, I guess we're going to end on. So uh, before we sign off, I would like to, to suggest to our listeners um, that they, they read Jihad Watch and, and maybe pick up a couple of, of Robert Spencer's books. Um, one of the pleasures of reading him and now ch chatting with him is that he's blunt. There's, he's, he's not wishy-washy. He has, he has strong opinions, and uh, they're much appreciated, especially since I agree with most of them. Um, and it's very, very important that, uh, you know, we, we've, we spoke a little bit about uh, the manipulation of language on today's podcast. And um, Mr. Spencer is one of the foremost uh, people in, in 
the media today who fight against the manipulation of language. He speaks plainly, he explains plainly, he uses facts, and there is no obfuscation. You might not like what he says. Uh, certainly the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center doesn't like what he says, um, but they can't refute it with things other than uh, innuendo and, and bald-faced lies. So uh, he's one of the good ones. So uh, read, it, read his website and buy his books. Anyway, Robert Spencer, a pleasure to have you. We hope to have you on much more frequently. And certainly as your books come out, we'll have you on to, to plug those because they'll, they're invaluable. CBD, thank you. So for Robert Spencer and CBD, it's JJ Sefton. Cut Chip Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. We will see you again on the next one. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening, folks.